Hello and welcome to the Friday, December 22nd, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, the GOP presidential debate in Iowa gets new life. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds tries her hand at campaign fact-checking and some interesting state house candidate announcements. Hello, everyone, and Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me this week are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Bah humbug, Aaron. Lee Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough is here. Hello, Caleb. Hello, Aaron. A little more Christmas spirit there, and you can see Caleb has a, you can't see, but Caleb has a tree in his background. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is here. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Aaron. And also we have Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal with us. Hello, Jared. Whatever you do this holiday season, you do not have to watch the 2000 version of The Grinch. How about the 2000, what was it, 14 one with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch? That's fine. The 2001 is an abomination and no one should ever watch that movie ever again. (laughs) There we go. We snuck a little movie review in on you too. It's so much bonus content here on the Iowa on Iowa Politics podcast. All right. uh, Getting to the to the politics. First up this week, we need to clean up a conversation that we had on last week's podcast about the proposed Republican presidential debate in Iowa hosted by CNN. When we taped last week's podcast, uh, at that time on Thursday afternoon, only one candidate, Ron DeSantis, had committed to the debate. So at that moment, it was an open question of whether the debate would actually happen. Naturally, Murphy's Law being what it is, shortly after we recorded that episode, Nikki Haley also committed to the debate, which essentially made our entire discussion outdated. So you're welcome for that. Um, Anyways... Now with Haley in, it looks like the debate in Iowa will happen after all. It's scheduled for January 10th, just five days before the caucuses, and will take place at Drake University in Des Moines. And again, CNN will host and air. Uh, So now that we know that there will be a debate, it's a pretty safe assumption that it will be just between those two candidates, DeSantis and Haley, because Trump has not been doing any debates. And it's unlikely that any other candidate will qualify. So do we think that debate will be a key moment in those closing days of the caucus campaign? The, if the debates have seemed to be one thing that maybe have helped Nikki Haley in the past. Jared, let's start with you. Um, might that debate just five days before the caucuses help any late breakers here in Iowa? No. All right, moving on. To- <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would say that regardless of what the polling averages show, because there's been plenty of political science research over the years that debates don't really persuade voters, but they might motivate, you know, people that are already bought in. And of course, the, you know, we've talked about it plenty, but the polling averages now have Trump with a 30 point lead over DeSantis and even more than that over Haley. So even if the debates did motivate every single Haley or DeSantis supporter, they're not going to do so to such a degree that there's a 30 point uh, swing. And it's also hard to think that good debate performances would help DeSantis or Haley when some of the recent moments that they've had in their campaigns have not been signs of strong campaigns. You had DeSantis this week saying that Trump being indicted kind of crowded out the primary and sucked all the air out of the room. And you don't usually see campaigns looking back like that before the campaign is even over with. And then with Haley, she's having to dispel questions about being Trump's VP, which again is not something a campaign has to contend with when it's when it's doing well. So it's hard to think that a, a debate performance would kind of correct some of those various ills. 
Yeah, I mean, that's true. The, it, I, the only way it matters is if all of a sudden there is a surge from one of those and, 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 you know, then does it, does it continue, help continue that or stunt it? Um, but as things sit right now, um, yeah, without a doubt, the, like you said, there's no way a debate's going to swing 30 points. The the one thing I guess I would say maybe to, to contradict myself even a little bit <laughs> is that it could matter between second and third. I, I doubt it matters much at all for Saudi, you know, getting into first, but between second and third, it could matter between Haley and DeSantis because that'll draw contrast between the two. Yeah, there you go. And then, and then, sorry, Tom. And and then it's just a matter of where are second and third and does that matter? You know, are are they fighting for each other at 25 to 30 or are they fighting each other at 17 to 18 still? And and at which point who cares? Go ahead, Tom, you were going to say. No, I mean, you just kind of uh, stole what I was going to say. I mean, um, I I did, I did just um, speak to Nikki Haley about this just a couple of hours ago. She was in Anamosa um, doing a a town hall there. um, And, you know, she continued her um, uh, calls and in, in criticisms that, um, you know, Trump likely will not be on the debate stage and, will continue his his boycott and, you know, continuing kind of that attack line of, um, you know, it's um, uh, offensive to voters in Iowa and it's offensive to voters in other states that, um, you know, Trump won't get up on the stage um, to defend his policies and positions and, um, and whatnot. But um, to your point, you know, she also talked about how, um, you know, the debate is, the, or debates, I should say, not just this one, but um, the other ones that they've had too, are a good opportunity for them to draw um, contrast from one another. Um, and in that respect, I think this debate is going to be really important for Ron DeSantis in deciding, yeah, who is going to be uh, in second place. You know, he has um, pinned his hopes on the Iowa caucuses, but um you know, has has faced a lot of issues and challenges with his campaign. Um, as we have probably talked about ad nauseum on this podcast, you know, the endorsements from um, Bob Vanderplatz and from Governor Reynolds, um, you know, hasn't really done anything to um, move the needle for him in Iowa, in the polling, um, in support in the caucuses. Um, and, and so, you know, it, the debate is going to be a potential opportunity for um, DeSantis to, um, you know, try and, and make or create some sort of um, breakout moment, you know, to finally kind of build that momentum that his campaign has just been sorely lacking for these last couple of months. Um, and to try and see if, um, if, if yeah, he can pull himself um, away from Nikki Haley. Um It'll it'll be interesting to see how he tries to do that in the debates and what kind of attack lines um, come out from that and and how the voters re- respond to that because um, you know obviously we've um, you know seen what happens um, in some instances with Vivek Ramaswamy and the attacks that um, he's made against Haley in past debates and and that kind of not sitting well with um, with GOP voters. Yeah, so let let's dig into that a little bit more. As you're talking about these two candidates um, and and the the quote unquote battle for second. Um, Caleb, what's your sense of where things stand right now between DeSantis and Haley um, as they 
both try to be the one that has this late breaking surge in Iowa? Yeah, I think things are definitely close. Um, obviously, if you you look at um, polling, they're they're only separated by a couple points a lot of the time. Um, DeSantis is really trying to solidify himself as the number two candidate in Iowa and create clear distance there. Um, and I think he kind of needs that to be the case in the the results in the caucuses. Um, if he um, is tied with Haley or within a couple points, that's that's not really going to look um, good for him based on you know how he wants to come out of, of Iowa. Um, he it, it it definitely seems like he's got a bigger ground operation here, more uh, resources here. You see that in um, campaigning and then just like in who uh, his events and things like that. Um, and then at the same time, it looks like Haley is trying to build up her operation here in these last couple of weeks. Um, but I think she's also tempering her expectations a little bit. Uh, I, I saw, you know, today on the campaign trail in the register that she wanted to uh, do, you know, have a strong showing at the caucus, but she didn't put a number on it. So she's, you know, not, I, I think maybe at some point, uh, some elsewhere, she or her campaign has, has, you know, said something about placing second, but I think they're trying to, to not uh, make that expectation. So they don't, um, they don't undersell that expectation. Because but, why, Professor Goldford? <laughs> because they want to do better than expected. And if they do worse than expected, that would be bad. And um, it, yeah, sorry, but, just to just to jump in here. So I asked Haley about that earlier today, mm-hmm. asking her, you know, what um, you know, what does success look for look like for you in the Iowa caucuses? And and essentially she echoed what um, you know, she told the register. Um, you know, she wouldn't put a number on it, but just said that um that she's um uh what did she say she can pull up my notes here um that she's expecting um to uh or our goal is to be strong in iowa you know we want to be strong in new hampshire and be strong in south carolina she said we're not putting all our eggs in one basket which you know is kind of a a a reference or a slight uh to desantis who again has kind of pinned his hopes on posting a strong showing in iowa to you know, potentially winnow the race down to him and Trump or uh, and and potentially try and upend, you know, the former president's path to to the GOP nomination. She said, we're putting all our eggs in in every state, in every basket, and we want to show that uh, that we can be strong in 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 all of them, yeah. and um, just on that kind of note, she I, I've seen some some uh, some press emails from Haley's campaign. They're also trying to kind of oversell expectations for for DeSantis because because they have all you know DeSantis' team has also kind of <laughs> you know pulled back and said you know we we want a, a strong showing strong uh, and elsewhere. But but her campaign has pointed to uh, statements where DeSantis has predicted he's going to get first in the caucuses, and you know she's saying if DeSantis doesn't get first, he's done. And so everyone wants uh, everyone else to do worse than everybody thinks, and it's it, well. We'll see how it all turns out, I guess. That's Another... interesting because last night at um when she was at when she was at Bon Mar, or I should say Wednesday night, because if this podcast comes out on Friday, Wednesday night, um, she she pointed to some Wall Street Journal polling and she she kind of said, like, you know, we're in second and we've only got one more fella to go. So she kind of I mean, she said like we're in second, kind of. Maybe she didn't use that exact word second, but um She's, she seemed to imply that she was like, she just had Trump to go. And Sarah, we, we were talking about this before we hit record here. And I already forgot that this is a wonderful illustration of how terrible my memory is. Did you say you've seen or the Quad Cities have seen both Haley and DeSantis this week over the last few days? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So, so you jump in here too. What's your uh, sense of, you know, after having 
both the both of those candidates through the area um what what's your sense of where those two stand relative to each other yeah that's a that's a good question i mean certainly um haley was her event i mean Ron DeSantis appeared with governor kim reynolds and so and it was an, an interview style event and so certainly it was a lot of like you know back and forth with him and he took a lot of questions from the audience and um um, I say both candidates had pretty, and then Nikki Haley pretty much it was pretty much her stump speech and um, and with a few questions. So uh, I'd say both events had pretty similar turnout. Um, you know, week before Christmas, yeah. I think yeah. they're not probably drawing as big of crowds as they used to. Um, but it was funny. I actually talked to a voter who, uh, or a rep- likely Republican caucus goer who. He'd he'd seen DeSantis and Eldridge and I talked to him and then I saw him at the Haley event last night and talked to him again. And he said that uh, that hearing her speak and uh, he he really liked how calmly she talked about issues. She was very even keel and steady and um, that hearing her talk on Wednesday, like sealed the deal for him. Um, So I thought that was interesting, but it's hard to say. It seems like, you know, they're kind of going for the people at these two events seemed a little different. Like just mm. there were, there seemed to be at least at the Nikki Haley event more, maybe like business people um, more like um, it was at Von Mar warehouse. So I think there were more maybe okay. people yeah. drawn from that. Yeah. That it area. wasn't your and typical, then, just public town hall, town hall style of crowd necessarily. It was not. Yeah. 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 But there, I mean, there were still pe- obviously lots of people there. There was yeah. one woman who was knitting. So that was fun to see. <laughs> Sarah, you you saying that those events uh, had somewhat similar turnouts now has me imagining a scenario where, you know, Trump wins by some amount of double digits and then Haley and DeSantis basically finish with the exact same numbers or very close to them. And then there's nothing that can be drawn from that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's that's exactly what it the path we're on, at least anyways. I mean, that's what it's been for about a, a month or two now in, in the polls and 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 uh, you know early on throughout the summer i kind of gave some of the other campaigns um a little bit of sideways grief for always attacking each other and never former president trump at least right now between haley and desantis i get it you know because they're trying to you know knock uh, the other one off their perch in in addition to building up their own momentum so it it makes sense now at least uh, that we're seeing that kind of interaction yeah i mean that's as much as anything I, th- I think that's the biggest question for these last uh, 25 days as I as we record on Thursday, uh, not that anybody's counting, um, is w- what happens with, with Haley and DeSantis and it, does it either pull away from the other and, and does it happen to a significant enough um, extent to matter? Um, and, 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 and then uh, from the top, the, the only question to me is whether the Trump campaign's done a good enough job to, to get the people out that, that have been saying for nine months to 10 months now that they they plan to support him as long as they get him out um it 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 should be a comfortable first place finish here all right um man good stuff um moving on uh uh, elsewhere on the caucus campaign trail this past week at one of the events where iowa governor kim reynolds joined florida governor Ron DeSantis, whom she has endorsed reynolds addressed a recent campaign ad from the donald trump campaign that basically does nothing more than play a long string of clips 
of Reynolds praising Trump at myriad campaign rallies past. Trump's obviously trolling Reynolds here, and, and it's a doozy. And uh, so, and in, in I believe you covered this one, Sarah, that Reynolds tried to clarify things. Uh, she, she did a little fact-checking of this campaign ad, uh, didn't she? Yeah, she pretty much just said, I'm endorsing Ron DeSantis, and that uh, Trump was misleading Iowans uh, with those ads, thinking trying to trick I, well, she didn't say trick, but trying to mislead Iowans into thinking that she endorses um, uh, President Trump, former President Trump, when um, uh, she's she has her full support behind DeSantis. And so and then she went into how Trump was upset with her when she originally tried to or said she was going to stay neutral in the caucuses. He was upset with her about that. And then um, then there relationship just further took a nosedive when when she did endorse Ron DeSantis. And so um, she said uh, that he, referring to Trump, thought he was entitled to my endorsement and nobody is entitled to anything. You have to step up. You have to earn it. You have to make your case. So she was really trying to emphasize that she stayed neutral for those seven months. And then um, when she did make and decide to make an endorsement, um, uh, that that he had launched these misleading ads and, and Tried to clarify, she's she's for Ron DeSantis. Yeah, and and to fill in any blanks for anybody listening, um, if you haven't seen this ad, first of all, my compliments on your um, you watch a lot less TV than I do, clearly, because um, I, I watch enough TV and this ad is on constantly. I've seen it so many times, um, and it, it, so after obviously Reynolds has endorsed DeSantis, and this Trump campaign ad is like I said, just a long string of clips from previous campaign events in um, 2015 during the Trump campaign. There's probably, I, I can't tell exactly, but I'm, some might be from the governor's reelection campaign, but they're all clips of her, of Kim Reynolds praising Donald Trump. Um, so if you didn't know that Governor Reynolds has endorsed Ron DeSantis, you would watch that ad and assume that she's endorsed uh, uh, Trump. So it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's an interesting one. And uh, it, it's also interesting to hear the governor feeling the need to clarify that on the campaign trail. Um, Trump also made some news in another Iowa stop that uh, none of us was physically at because it was in Waterloo. Um, but uh, uh, maybe, Tom, I'll, I'll let you start with this one because you did cover Trump this past week, just not this one. He, he the, the whole um, uh, immigrants are poisoning the blood of our country, which is... Uh, using language similar to what Hitler used and, and Trump addressed that in a, in a rally in Waterloo. He did not say anything about that at the one you covered, right, Tom? Is that correct? I mean, he, he did talk about um, immigration um, and, you know, attacked uh, President Biden um, over his um, immigration policies and um, reversing those that Trump enacted when, when he was in office. Um, but he he didn't use that um that harsher you know kind of uh hard right um rhetoric like what we heard um from him in in waterloo and saying that um immigrants are poisoning um the blood of our country i i don't recall again him using kind of that harsh rhetoric um when he was in coralville but you know he he did um talk about um the need to secure the border and, you know, talked about how um, if he's elected again, he would undertake um, the the largest um, domestic deportation 
um, uh, effort uh, in U.S. history and uh, talked about reinstating uh, travel ban uh, for people coming from Muslim majority countries and in saying that there needs to be um, ideological screening uh, for people who um, request asylum in the United States. Yeah, uh, and and it was interesting in 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 Waterloo to to hear him <laughs> explain that it's no big deal that he uses that phrase because he's never read Mein Kampf. Um, so uh, um, I I don't know if that necessarily explains it away. I can think of some other examples where if you used a word or phrase and just said, "Well, I didn't know that that was a bad word." Then I, I don't know that that would play. Well, uh, Jared, Jared uh, he, Trump's coming to Sioux Center in Mason City. Uh, you think he'll? read Mein Kampf before then? Well, uh, another thing with this that that makes it more difficult is, you know, people have pointed out there have been a number of other instances of similar things over the years, going all the way back to when he announced talking about, you know, immigrants from Mexico bringing drugs, crime, and saying that uh, immigrants from, you know, Mexico are are rapists. So it's harder to talk about any of these as a one-off when you keep having these different cases um, pile up. Calves the size of cantaloupes. That was that was that was Steve King. King. Yep, that was yep. Steve King. Thank you for yeah. the clarification. Yep. Um. Yeah. I mean, you know, predicting what he's going to talk about in the Sioux Center, considering even if it was tomorrow, it would be impossible to predict what he might talk about. But uh, of course, when he came to Sioux Center a little bit before the caucuses in 2016, uh, that was when he talked about standing in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shooting someone and uh, not losing any voters. So it'd be hard to live up to that again. Uh, Which center. look, I keep coming back to that as honestly one of the most factually accurate things he's said in, since he came onto the scene in 2015. I mean, it's it's it's, it's Babe dark, Ruth, uh, but it's true. His sh- Babe Ruth calling his yeah. uh, his shot. Um, <laughs> yeah. I something just I planning wise that I, I found um, sort of interesting about this event is that you know this announcement comes not that long after there were four other candidates who all decided to attend the Feenstra event in Sioux center. And, you know, yet again, that was a multi-candidate debate debate or uh, event that Trump uh, skipped out on. So it's interesting that he is deciding to, to come to the same campus, but uh, all by himself a little bit after everybody else. Yeah, that, that checks out. That checks <laughs> out. It's not quite uh holding an event at the same time as the debate in Iowa, like he did in, in 2015 when he skipped a uh, debate two or three and, and um, literally held a campaign event uh, in, in at the same time as, as the debate. And I, I, one of the thing I would say is when I was um, putting that together this morning, after I saw that um, announcement, uh, it had me thinking about last year, how one of the few campaign events that he did before the 2022 elections was just, you know, days before he came to Iowa to, to boost uh, Grassley and some of the other candidates on the slate. And, you know, this is going to be pretty close to, to caucus time. So it feels like another case maybe of just, you know, dotting the I's and, and crossing the T's and making sure that a part of the state he really needs uh, doesn't go any way but his own. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, and and I, I can't remember if we, if we said, if you said it, Jared, forgive me, January 5th is the date on those. Is that right? Yep. 10 days yeah. before. Yeah. So you would assume that there'd be one more trip in there 
um, before January 15th. So those are probably the, the penultimate trip and, and the location makes sense. And then maybe he does something um, closer to central Iowa for the, or, or uh, for the last, uh, for the last one. Uh, obviously we'll see. All right. Before we go, um, because there are other types of elections also, uh, we wanted to highlight on our way out this week uh, some recent candidate announcements for the Iowa legislature. That's right. It's not all about the presidential candidates. Uh, there have been a few interesting ones coming out of eastern Iowa lately. Uh, Tom, you wrote about both. Tell us about Andy McKean and Amy Wichtendahl. And I hope that I pronounced that last name correctly. Yeah, I think you did. Close enough. It works. Um <laughs> So, <laughs> so Iowa's first transgender elected official uh, hopes to become Iowa's first transgendered state lawmaker. So, Hiawatha City Council member Amy uh, Wickendall, uh, a Democrat, announced that um, she's going to be running for Iowa House District 80 that covers Hiawatha, Robbins, and part of Cedar Rapids. It's the House seat that's currently represented by um, Art Stade, a Democrat from Cedar Rapids. Um, but uh, Representative Stade intends to run for the Iowa Senate seat that will be vacated by Democratic incumbent Todd Taylor. Um, Senator Taylor um, is planning to uh, instead, well, he's, he's not going to seek re-election to a seat and instead is running for uh, Lynn County Auditor. Um, so the House District leans Democratic, um, uh, Wichtendahl, who in 2015 became the first transgender Iowan elected to public office, um, has uh, advocated against state legislation that would affect uh, transgender youth. Um, she was reelected to the Hiawatha City Council for a third term in November. Um, you know, she said that sweeping new laws passed this year by Republican lawmakers and, and signed a law by Governor Reynolds that place restrictions on LGBTQ students, school materials, and, and access to abortion, um, as well as creating new taxpayer-funded uh, private school scholarships, prompted her to run for the seat, um, arguing that um, that these are um, unpopular uh, measures um, among Iowans. Um, if you um, look at some of the polling um, that um, she's pointed to, however, um, you know, there are other polls out there um, that suggest that um, that at least um, majorities of Iowans um, support um, the uh, restrictions um, on um, instruction related to LGBTQ topics um, in schools and uh, gender affirming uh, care for transgender minors. Um, if elected, uh, she said that she would push to raise the minimum wage, expand access to affordable housing, and use the state's budget surplus to create uh, tax credits for childcare. Um, and again, would reverse state laws passed this year that um, put restrictions on LGBTQ students um, and abortion access in the state. Um, the other interesting announcement um, is that um, former Iowa State Representative Andy McKean of Anamosa um, is going to run again for um, the House um, as a Democrat. So um, people may or, or may not remember that uh, the former longtime Republican state lawmaker made uh, national headlines for um, switching parties back in, oh man, I should know this, was this 2019, I think? Yeah, I yeah think it was... I'm trying to remember the exact year. It was um, 
I think it was 2019. Yeah, it was around it was, then because it was it was it was essentially a, a reaction to to Trump. Yes, and it's, so he's he switched from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party in a rebuke of of, of then President Donald Trump. Um, and anyway, um, so he has said that uh, he is going to run as a, as a Democrat for um, the House seat that um, he lost in 2020 um, to um, uh, State Representative uh, Steve Bradley, a Republican from uh, Cascade. Um, so yeah, it was it was 2019. McKean was the longest serving Republican in the legislature when um, he switched to the Democratic Party, um, and again said the move largely stemmed from his philosophical differences with the policies and actions of of Trump. Um, so McKean said that the concerns that he expressed in in 2019 remain, and is running with the hope of uh, uniting Iowans under a common cause to. Uh, better the state and restore um, the what he said is is the bipartisan consensus building uh, approach to to solving problems that wants to find Iowa. Um, he said he thinks the most Iowans want to um, end the cycle of swinging from one extreme to the other, um, and and are tired of what he sees as um, excessive partisanship that uh, has gripped the Iowa legislature. Um, and, and again, thanks. It's time for a new kind of leadership um, at the state house that's um, responsive uh, uh, to, to to compromise um, and uh, uh, would again work to to bring people together instead of um, setting them apart. Um, McKean served 24 years in the Iowa House and Senate. Uh, he was first elected in '78, um, and um, he. Uh, left the legislature in 2002, um, went on to serve on the Jones County Board of Supervisors, um, and then um, ran again for the Iowa House in 2016, um, reelected in 2018 before being ousted in, in 2020. Yeah, and that'll be interesting because it's a rematch, but it'll be a slightly different district, right? Because we've had redistricting since they faced each other in 2020 right um yes although truth be told um i guess i don't know how much the district changed um from when mckean last ran for that seat in 2020 um the way that the district is drawn right now um it uh it includes uh jones county uh the majority of jackson county um, excluding Makokata and I think the southwest corner of Jackson County. Yeah, so it might be a Republican lean one, anyways. Um, yeah. and then the Wickendall seat—that's Art State seat. I assume that's a fairly safe Democratic. Yeah, seat. it. Yeah, it leans Democratic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, again, putting my awful memory on full display. Sarah, was there one uh, a, a state house candidate from the Quad Cities that had announced recently too that you thought was uh, at least mildly interesting? Yeah. Um, last week, um, the school board president and president of the Quad City Federation of Labor, Dan Gosa. Um, announced he was running for the Democratic nomination against um, Loina Stoltenberg, uh, the current Republican in the Davenport. She, uh, she represents Davenport House District 81, I believe. And that was the district, if podcast listeners remember, that was uh, really, really close in 2022. So close, in fact, that the lead kept flipping between Loina Stoltenberg and her Democratic opponent, Craig Cooper, 
Um, And the recount finally had Luana Stoltenberg winning, which was certified. And uh, and she is uh, she's been described as one of the most pro-life anti-abortion legislators in uh, in Des Moines. So uh, Dan Gosa is really seems to be running more on um, uh, his commitment to labor schools and and just he really emphasized in his press release that he's just he's just a guy running um, and his family is important to him and uh, his commitment to his community is important to him. So um, certainly I don't, I don't think, uh, or I, I should say with his connections, I think he would, he's likely to be a pretty strong challenger to Stoltenberg, especially in a district that um, went so was so close in 2022. Yeah. Yeah, Without a doubt. That's a, that's a solid resume for a, state house candidate and and i just wanted to add in there he he may not be talking about abortion yet but either he or the state party 100 percent will when we get to the election i will bet a month's salary uh on that um uh, you noted um representative stoltenberg uh, she was the one that called for and might have even been the bill drafter or sponsor of the life at conception bill that 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 House Republicans did not leadership ultimately didn't do, um, but but she was um, on on that one. So sorry, Tom, did I steal from you again? Uh, no, I I was just going to ask Sarah a question. Um, I, I was just curious how that district is drawn and how much of the district includes Davenport compared to um, like Bettendorf um, or Eldridge or kind of. Um, maybe more conservative parts of um, the Iowa side of the Quad Cities? Yeah, that's a good question. I'd have to check on exactly where the lines are drawn, but I think it's almost all in Davenport. Um, Mike Vondren is, he represents a district that's like Davenport, Bettendorf, and Eldridge. That's, so, yeah, that's the district I was thinking of was Vondren's district. I, I, I just got it pulled up here. So it's the the Northwest edges of the city of Davenport and then into the rural areas outside not quite to Eldridge to the north um so it's it, it looks like it's kind of a, about a decent almost 50 50 split of city of Davenport and then rural surrounding Davenport you know uh Sarah you you mentioning the the background of um Stoltenberg's challenger it does make me wonder considering the the way the year has kind of gone um throughout the country and a little bit in Iowa uh, if the Democratic Party is going to start pulling even more from labor groups and labor organizers and stuff for for candidates, because it seems like it could be trending that way with, like I said, the, the way the year has kind of gone in, in that realm of the, the party. Yeah, that's certainly a good question. Um, we'll see how uh, we'll see how uh, Dan Gosa does. And and um, I know I'm trying to remember there was there was some there was somebody who is a labor organizer who ran um in like i think for a senate seat in like scott county plus clinton county it's like mostly eldridge and um and she did not she did not win um but that's a much more rural more conservative area um but no i think i think that's a really good question um uh i guess you know time will tell uh i haven't heard of any other Democrats that have announced challenges in, in at least in the Quad Cities area um, for 2024. Um, certainly, I think the Quad Cities does have a lot of like strong labor ties um, uh, with a lot of manufacturing here, and 
so, so yeah, so certainly I think, I think we'll see. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really good question. Yeah. And that kind of stuff will pick up after the new year, those state house candidate announcements. Um, they don't get as big a jump of the gun as, as the congressional candidates do, because they don't have to amass amounts of, uh, massive amounts of uh, money for their fundraising. So um, we'll start hearing more of that after the new year. Uh, Sarah, Speaking, were you thinking? Oh, sorry, go ahead, Tom. Were you thinking of Kay Pence, who lost to Norlin Momsen? Yes, yes, that's who I was thinking of. There we go. Thank you, thank you. Brain itches scratched. Um, speaking of uh, the holidays, so uh, next Thursday will be December twenty eighth, and we are going to give you a holiday break from the on Iowa politics podcast uh we hope you all have a very safe and enjoyable holiday season and then we will be back on the 5th of january where we will be uh really in the throes of the caucus uh campaign and the sprint to the finish there and we will be literally days away from the start of the 2024 session of the iowa legislature so we'll have plenty to talk about there too um and between all that content and having taken a day off, we may need uh, an hour and a half for that podcast. So, so save your time appropriately. <laughs> Aaron, really quickly, if I could just, I had another thought about Jared's question. I think, I don't know that it necessarily matters quite as much that he's, he's a labor guy, but it really matters. I think that he's the leader of a labor organization and a school board. So he's really got community connections. Um, I think a lot of people will probably look at the ballot R and D like, people who aren't maybe not who are maybe not paying quite as close of attention but if if they have had interactions with somebody in the community and may know know someone and and you know maybe maybe there's a positive association with labor but i think it probably matters more that he's well connected in the community than that he specifically is labor yeah that that's what i was kind of thinking because those kinds of leadership positions can really sort of scramble political alliances sometimes. Like if you're a part of the same group and know the guy and like the guy and have to deal with him. Yeah, absolutely. That's why same same reason I said what I did that that that's the kind of bio that that uh, I know that the parties like to have uh, for a for a state house candidate, regardless mm-hmm. of party. Um, someone who's been involved and connected in the community and done what can be considered positive things and 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 not involved in the in the partisanship at, at the, that you see at the state house and, and just been, been on the ground in the community. They, they love those kinds of candidates. So that sounds like a strong challenge. It'll be one to watch without a doubt. All right. That does it for this edition of on Iowa politics. If you're not already, please subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts and also be sure to catch us each week on your preferred Gazette or lean newspaper website. Now that you've listened to the on Iowa politics podcast, make sure you've also subscribed to the on Iowa politics newsletter where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Sioux City Journal. Once again, Stephen wasn't able to join us as, as we record, so I have no idea who's playing us out this week either. In my mind, they sound lovely, though. I'm, I'm sure they do. Uh, if you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, and even Scrooge Todd Dorman, who couldn't join us for this one, and our producer, Stephen Colbert, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.